Yes, there will be a test next Sunday at the lunch. So, and we're not going to give you the study questions beforehand because we just want you to stress out about it. Um, oh, that was a joke. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what we're going to do is we kind of stepped away from it for a minute, but one thing that I love is the fact that our Sunday morning gathering is not um, about any one individual. It's about us as a church family. And one of the things that blessed me so much uh, when I was younger, um, when I very first started going to church, I don't know what it was, but I kind of got roped into reading the, reading the passage that the pastor was going to preach on like uh, pretty early on. I don't know if they were like, that kid's trouble. Get him a Bible and make him read it in front of people. But I used to be really nervous about um, reading out loud in particular, uh, being in front of people. And there was just something about standing with people that maybe the only thing that I had in common with them is that we were gathered together at this time in this place to learn more about Jesus and to uh, be at church together. So um, I want to start kind of um, coming back to where we have somebody read our text uh, that we're going to teach through during the day. If that's something that you'd be hyped on doing, I know it's not for everybody, um, but don't be surprised if I, uh, if I single you out sometime and ask you to do it um, because it's a, it's a huge blessing for our church. So we're going to do that today. So if you have your Bible, would you open it up to the book of Mark? That's where we've been. Chapter 9, and uh, Spencer's going to come up, and he's going to read um, our text for today. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll get there for you. All right. So you have Mark chapter 9, starting verse... Verse 14, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever he sees or whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long, has been, how long has this been happening to him? And he said to him, from a childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help, him, help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the ones who believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, we could not, why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, this kind can only, cannot be driven out except for by prayer, or out by anything but prayer. Thanks, buddy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We are assured that it is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to divide us at the deepest level, soul and spirit. 
your word is able to bring light into the darkest places of our lives. Maybe that we didn't even know were there or darkness that was spoken over us by someone at some point in our life that is stuck with us. Your word is able to do what we see here, to speak into a place. Jesus, you can do what no one else can do. You can cast out things and bring a newness. And Lord, we believe that this morning. So we declare that we are ready to hear from you. We pray that you would speak to us because we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to share with you guys our message today. It's called, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Has anybody ever felt that in your heart? Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling here. If you're honest, you have. If you say, no, I never have, then I would say you probably have never asked that question really deep or give it a minute (laughs) and then you will because the Lord has a way of doing stuff that's unbelievable and life has a way of being hard enough that the temptation is to doubt Lord I believe help my unbelief The main point of this passage, there's some cool stuff. If you have a red letter Bible, it's the letters that Jesus said are written in red. And if your Bible doesn't have red letters, that's okay because it's all God's word. Jesus said it all. It should all be red. That's just a cool thing to say if your Bible doesn't have red letters. But if it does, if you look at the things that Jesus said in particular, he says some very powerful things and we want to lean into those today. One of the things that he says is in verse 19. He identifies the problem of this entire passage. I had Spencer read the whole thing because it's this long, drawn-out story, kind of like life. And then Jesus says this one thing where he sheds light on what the real problem is. And let me give you the, I'll, I'll tell you in advance, the real, truest problem wasn't the boy's condition. Jesus speaks to it right here in verse 19 where he says this. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? And how long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. The disciples weren't able to cast out this demon, help this boy's condition they were wondering, and the father asked Jesus, they're, they're, or he says to them, they're not being very effective. The disciples weren't, weren't able to do it. They were having a lack of power or effectiveness. But the real problem, the dilemma that we're facing, is not their effectiveness, it's their faith. And this is good to know because we go to conferences to learn how to be more effective. We listen to podcasts to learn how to be more effective. And these being effective is good. I want to be effective in my life at the things that I do and and learn how to do the things that I do better, whether it's parenting or my tree business or pastoring this church, the things that are in front of me, I would like to be effective. And and God promises that he helps us as we grow and we mature to be more effective. But what he's talking about here is deeper than trying to be more effective. It's a heart issue. So I want to look at, by this passage, I want to look at some, um, one, two, three, four things that affect our faith, or that affect our faith, and therefore limit our effectiveness. And then I want to look at a couple of things that, that Jesus gives uh, in, this, in this text Um, so he's going to give us, this is what's causing some of this stuff and here's what to do about it. I always love it when Jesus gives me a, a step to take, even though it's a step of faith, it's a, it's something that I can take and put myself be like, okay, Lord, let's, let's, uh, let's take a step toward this. So here's, here's the first one, things that affect our faith and cause us to, 
to not be effective like the disciples, to have doubt like the Father. Um, Let's go through the passage and we'll look at them. The first one is this. It's not in our text, so this is for free, and it'll be real quick. But one thing that limits our effectiveness in the world, being the church or a follower of Jesus, number one, not wanting to engage. Not wanting to engage. Now, did you notice in that first verse it says, um, and when they came to the disciples, who was they and where are they coming from? We got to back up before Easter and Palm Sunday to get back to this text. But Peter, James, and John were just on a mountain with Jesus. And it says, on this mountain, Jesus was transfigured before them. In a way, imagine they saw Jesus and he was no longer dressed in robes and and he, he was like the power of God was emitting from him. And they were like, this, it was heaven on earth is what it was. And Peter said, let's never leave here. Let's stay here. And Jesus said, we must go back down the mountain. I don't think Peter ended up there out of a place of pride. He just wanted to be like, this is heaven on earth. But heaven on earth isn't the absence of problems. Heaven on earth is the presence of Jesus. And one thing that helps us to, that causes us to lose effectiveness in the world and even within, in our own faith is this not wanting to engage. We just don't want to see the issues of the world. And so we kind of put our blinders on and we're doing our own thing. And it can really cause a sense of you're not being used. That's not Jesus's plan for his followers. He wants us to engage in the issues around us. Okay. The second one, the things that affect our faith is failure. Now, none of you guys have ever experienced this, but I have, so I'll just talk about myself for a minute. Failing in your own life. Uh, Another word for this is sin. These are things that we do that miss the mark that God would have for us. His perfect will for your life where you give in to a temptation that you know is bad. You know, like, I shouldn't do this, but you do it anyways. Um, Anyone ever experienced failure? Oh, it's the worst. But it builds character, apparently. Failing in your own life is sin. Now, let's, but look at what the disciples were failing in here. I don't believe that they were failing in, in sin. It says they were failing in their community because they were trying to help. Jesus comes down the mountain. He says, what's going on here? And, and this father says, here's an issue in my life. He, this father is trying to come to church, so to speak, the, the, the representatives of Jesus and say, here's a problem. Can you help? And they're trying to help, and they're failing at helping. That's the hardest type of failure. I've seen this in parents where you're trying, you're trying to be a good mom and dad, and you're, you just feel like I'm fa- it's the hardest kind. Because it's not even for you, it's for someone else. This is a hard thing in the church or just trying to be a Jesus person. You're trying to help in the world. But the way you're perceived is hard, or even the way you're trying to help, you're just failing. I put it like this. When you're trying to live for Jesus and do kingdom of God type of work in the world, you you will have situations that you can't fix and people you can't please. It was helpful for me to be reminded of that. Because it's hard to know that no matter what you do and how hard you try, there are some times... You're just not going to succeed in certain people's eyes. And I was, I was thankful to know that Jesus knows that, and he sees that, and he still has this message for me anyways. Self-righteousness. You want to not be effective? You want to see a reason why... Um, Someone could not be effective in the world. Self-righteousness is a big one. If failure was kind of where the disciples were on this, self-righteousness would be the scribes. Look at this verse here. 
Okay, verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, comma, and scribes arguing with them. So the them is the disciples who were there trying to help. There was this great crowd. Everyone was watching. Nothing like being in the spotlight and you're forced into a situation that you don't know what to do. And then the scribes arguing with them. Self-righteousness. I don't like speaking in double negative terms, saying stuff like, if you don't do this, then this can't happen. I really try to think, if you do this, all that to be said is a disclaimer. I have a negative statement here that I'm going to read. But I feel it's powerful, and I, we want to write this one on our hearts, I think. There is no room for faith in Jesus when all your faith is in yourself. That's self-righteousness. There's no, there's no room for Jesus when you're full of yourself. And that's what the scribes picture here. Do you know who the scribes were in the Bible? They were the experts in the Bible. Now, we didn't have the New Testament. They were living the New Testament. It would be written pretty soon after this. Less than 100 years, we'll have kind of the whole New Testament. But they had all the Old Testament, um, all the books of Moses, Psalms, like Kings, all the things that had already been written. They were experts in these things, in God's law, in God's character, and they were arguing with the disciples. You're not doing it right. Doesn't it tell us exactly what they were saying? But we do know this. The disciples were trying to help, and it wasn't working. And the scribes were right there to let them know that it wasn't working, and according to them, why it wasn't working. That's a hard, hard thing when you're trying to help. And not only are there people against you, but the people that are speaking against you are supposed to be on the same team supposed to be for each other, and yet they are telling them that you're doing it wrong, according to the scriptures. They were pointing out the disciples were using the wrong formula. You're not doing it right. Now, not on first reading, but on second reading, you know what really stuck out to me? They spent a lot of time telling the disciples they were doing it wrong, and yet they never stepped in the ring and took a crack at casting this demon out themselves. And isn't life like that? Sometimes it's easier to stand back and criticize those that are trying to help instead of getting in and taking a crack at helping yourself. Self-righteousness is one of the greatest limiters to the church's effectiveness in the world, and it's one of the greatest factors to limiting our own effectiveness in the world around us. The last one, before we get into the beautiful invitation that Jesus has for us in battling these things. The last one is doubt. Look at the Father. Verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered. So he comes down, they're arguing. Jesus says, what are you guys arguing about? And not that the disciples didn't answer and the scribes didn't answer. It says, and this, then one of the crowd said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they could cast it out, but they could not. Doubt. I love the father's honesty. He couldn't help. He saw that what he was trying to do wasn't working. And so it's almost just like, I just, the arguing, what's going on here? And this, imagine this guy in the back is like, it's my fault. It's my fault. I came and just brought, I heard that you were the healer. I heard that you were the one that could do what no one else can do. And here's my issue. And so I brought it. And it's, it's, my, it's my bad. And I love, this is, what, this is what the Lord, this is where it starts. Honesty. And then 
And all of these things, whether it's doubt, whether it's self-righteousness, whether it's failure, whether it's simply not wanting to engage, I know that we can all relate with one, two, three, or all four of those. I can. In all of these things, what we need constantly is a realignment to what Jesus is about to do here. Jesus gives us a direction. He gives us an an invitation or an encouragement to step into his presence. If we all have doubt, if we all have failure, if we all have self-righteous tendencies, my way is the right way, their way is the wrong way. Jesus says this, how long am I to be Here he points out the problem again. Oh, faithless generation, when he sees all these things, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. This faithless generation was spoken to everybody, everybody around, the disciples, the scribes, the crowd, the father, Everybody heard this. This was a plural thing, talking to all of you. There's something that he says specifically to the disciples. We'll end with that, where he says, this kind can only come out with fasting and prayer. We'll talk about that at the end. But he looks and he says, oh, faithless generation. That's where he points out. Here's all the problems. Faith is at the core center of all of these things. And so how does, what do we take a step toward if our faith is waning? Well, the best invitation to connect with God is an invitation to pray. Prayer is the greatest connection point that we can have with the Lord. It's a relational connecting point with God. So what we need more than the power to change the world is connection with God. What we need more than effectiveness is connection with the Lord. Purpose, understanding, connection. Now let me look, show you four things with the rest of our time that prayer does to combat the, the things that take away from our effectiveness. The first one, this is so beautiful. I'll do the whole message to do this one point. Prayer corrects a critical spirit. What are you arguing about? Jesus said. They were arguing about how to help and why it wasn't working. Did you know that arguing about God and praying to God are different things? I think sometimes we need to be reminded that arguing about spiritual things and actually praying to God are different Arguing is not the same as praying. See, one has the power to heal. One has the power to divide. And we need to be reminded that they shouldn't be treated the same. There was a huge spirit of critical, a huge spirit of criticalness. Is that a thing? It is. There was a very, there, the critical spirit is dripping off the pages when you come down and there's arguing about how the church is supposed to help someone in need. Where do you have a critical spirit? We all do. Do you have a critical spirit toward people? Maybe that look different than you? If you think about it and just do a quick run through of the people in your life, there's someone or some uh, type of person representative of a certain type of person that you'll, you'll think of and you'll be like, yep, good, yep, good. And you think and you go, ugh. That's a critical spirit. Now, it's not to say that it wasn't caused by a reason something happened. But we have critical spirits. We need to, prayer corrects a critical spirit. How about toward church? 
there's a lot of critical words and critical spirits toward church. And you know what? Rightfully so. A lot of times people have been, when you hear, when you take a step toward a person and listen to their whole backstory, there's been really hurtful things done by people at their church, a pastor at a church, another person at a church, you know, because we're people and we have those things that limit our effectiveness, like failure and sin and doubt and all of those things. And so sometimes people equate church with a hurt that has happened and they get a real critical spirit. I don't go to church because, and then just fill in the blank of the different things, full of hypocrites, true, full of, you know, people, that's true too. Church is people, it's not a building, it means people. Um, But people, do you have a critical spirit? I don't go to church. Or maybe is your critical spirit actually toward God? And I find that when you take a a step even deeper, when someone has something going on with church, you take a step even deeper, and really it's there's a critical spirit toward God. I hurt because this happened. Um, Prayer is a weapon to fight back. Now, we'll look at how to pray because the Father doesn't say, Our Lord who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, Lord, I believe and I doubt. Amen. That was his prayer. I believe I'm really struggling. End of prayer. Help. End of prayer. But prayer can correct a critical spirit. Can I give a personal example? There's someone, there's been people that have really hurt me and my family. And I could not forgive them. I was having the hardest time. I would think about the situation and my my heart would start to beat fast. And I would just like, uh, I would get mad. And the Lord started, and I just felt like, it was one of those things. I felt like the Lord just kind of was like, you need to pray for them. I was like, pray for them? can't stand them why would I pray for them and it started to make sense when Jesus is like my his kingdom is different pray for your enemies like why would he say that? It's the dumbest thing Lord don't you understand enemies are bad why would I pray for them because it's more f- to correct your critical spirit than their behavior we can't change their behavior but we can change the bitterness that we face the what is holding us back. And I remember these prayers. They started out, and I'm, it's going to sound funny, but I'm dead. I don't know if I'm dead serious, but it was something along the lines of, Dear Lord, don't kill them. Amen. I was not praying blessing over these people. It was just a sense of like, I don't know. Dear Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen. I don't believe that, that you know, this person could ever come back from something like that but then I here's the problem I also hurt people (laughs) and man am I hoping that there would be a similar prayer like that for me dear Lord he's an idiot amen please help him and um, you know it took time but eventually that prayer turned into not just praying against that, you know, dear Lord, let nothing bad happen to their family. To like, dear Lord, would you bless them? That was a gradual thing. And let me tell you, the only thing that changed was my critical spirit. The friends, certain friendships won't be restored. But your effectiveness can be. Prayer is a weapon, you guys, to fight back. And it fights back toward a critical spirit. It also fights back. Prayer is a weapon against darkness. Verse 20, and he brought him the boy. And when the spirit saw him, Jesus, the spirit, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. They brought the boy to him. That's prayer. When you bring something to Jesus, 
prayer fights back against darkness. I will say this for as long as I can, as many times as I can. There is a reality. We talked about it last week, Easter. The reality is that is that we learn to live in is that Jesus is alive. Amen? So in this reality, that changes the way we live and move and act and all of the things. There is a reality that there is a spiritual realm that coexists with our physical realm. We don't like go to, go to church where we walk in the doors and we enter the spiritual realm. It coexists in all things that we do. And prayer is a way to fight the darkness in this realm. Some of you need to hear this because you're facing things that are just more than you can handle. Stress to the point that you have a breakdown and you just can't, you can't do it anymore. When you're like, I just can't do this. Relational strain, health issues. Just the world is like a pressure cooker. It used to be like a crock pot. Takes a long time. Now it's like those, is it the Instapot? It's just like you put it in and it's done. That's how stress is. You just put it in and then it's fully stressed out. And you're really disappointed in yourself. Because you feel like I shouldn't be this stressed out. I should be further along than this. I should know better than this. But there is a darkness that is just like you feel it. And you're disappointed in yourself, just like those disciples were. Here's the thing about being disappointed in yourself. When you're disappointed in yourself, it means you fully trusted in yourself. Prayer is realigning where we put our trust. Lord, I can't do this, but you can. This spirit that I feel, Lord, I don't know what it is, but it's hard. I, don't, I, I can't shake it, but you can. Prayer fights spiritual battles. The darkness against the words that have been said to you. I'm still fighting this one. You know those thoughts? Maybe they were right when they said those things about you. I'll never be able to trust you. You'll always be an addict. You'll never be better. You should, we wish you were never part of this family. You were a mistake in my life. The things that have been said to people, you think those are just words? There is a demonic, dark spirit and power over those words and prayer fights back. You listen to the critics and this brings about doubt. So prayer is a weapon against darkness, but prayer is a weapon against doubt. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, for a long time. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus says something that is hard to understand at first. And then Jesus said, if you can The father says, this is what's going on. If you can do anything to help us, Jesus, will you? And then Jesus looks at him and goes, not if I can, if you can. The father's like, this been, I've tried to do everything I could do for the longest time. Why would Jesus say, if you can? And then he says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When things have been the way they are for a long time, it becomes really easy to think they'll never change or get better. That's just the way of things. Habits are this way. You've been in a, in a thing for so long, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to think when you're so far down a road and then you hear things like Jesus says, repent. Repent doesn't mean Get where you need to be. It just means it's a starting point. It means, you know, you turn around. Sometimes you turn around every single day. There are minutes in between. That's the starting point. 
But sometimes you're so far down a path and you're saying stuff like, how did I get here? I don't think I was ever meant to be here and now I'm, all hope is lost. There's no way it'll change. That's a lie. They can be fought back. That is a doubt that can be fought back against. Prayer is fighting back against the doubt of not just what God can do, but who God is. See, doubting what God can do leads to doubting who God is. So Jesus took up the Father's words about doubt. He says, if, I, if you can, it was to show that the point was not his ability to heal the boy, but the Father's ability to trust God to do what he can't do. Let me say that in a different way. When God doesn't do the things that we ask him to do or think that he can do, when it goes on for a long enough time, we begin to think that not only God can't do it, but that God doesn't care. There's a lot of people who live in that realm. If you can, and he's like, no, if you can. If you can believe not, this, that not just that God can do it, but that God cares that God sees your circumstance. He sees what you're going through. He actually can do something that's impossible and he wants to do something in your life. I think that the deeper thing that we need to address before all the issues of how can God fix the issues of the day we need to be squared away and unified in our heart and in our proclamation of who God is today. He loves. He's engaged. He cares. Believing who God is leads to knowing what God can do. That's why we pray things about who God is. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. This is who you are. That's why we sing the songs that we sing, you guys. When you go to a church service, whether it's here at the bridge or someone else, they're going to have a template. of Here's what you try to figure out. How do we take this group of people with this amount of time we have on a Sunday morning and make the most out of it? Why do some churches do five songs? Some do three songs, some do announcements at the beginning, some do announce. We're all just trying to figure out how to honor God, worship him, and host people the best we can. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. But worship is about saying things that are true, that our spirits need to hear, but sometimes our minds are like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You're the way maker the miracle worker. You can do all of these things. We were singing um, this morning, here's my life, Lord. Speak what is true. When really, a lot of times can be thinking, okay, here's my life, Lord, but let me tell you about my Wednesday coming up this week. And it's simply just stopping to just say, to speak these things about who God is that fights against doubt. That's why we pray those things. Before we move into the last point, I've been thinking about people who say this. People who will say, I used to believe, but I don't believe anymore. According to statistics and things, that's, it's more people... Um, identify with no religious affiliation than any religious affiliation. You know, if you, there's forms, are you, do you identify as a Christian or a Muslim or these different, and then there's one that says none of the above. It's like 70% of people are like, none. You talk to, a lot, some people are like, well, I was raised in the church. My parents, you know, they say stuff like my parents were religious there's always, that's a road to go down. Like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, and, and um, 
but a lot of people will say, ah, I don't believe anymore. I used to, but no longer do. And it's this closing off, but I'm like, what if you could have enough courage to not close God off, but at least be honest? Lord, help my unbelief. I have it, it's there. I'm struggling. Would you help me in that place? You know, that's a prayer of honesty from your guts that is hard to say, and I believe Jesus will honor. Lord, help my unbelief. He's not going to go, well, that's not the prayer I was looking for. What if, but if it's just like, that's beautiful. Parents, at what point have you ever had your kids look at you when they're hurting and like raise up? They don't have the words and they just look at you and you're just like, it just makes you cry thinking about it. You just grab them and you pull them in close. You may not be able to, you may, as, as, as parents, we want to. You can't fix the problem, but you can bring them in close. You know, Jesus doesn't just want to fix a problem. He wants to bring you in close. That you would know not just what he can do, but who he is. Prayer is an invitation. It's a weapon, yes. It's also an invitation. Praying is an invitation to say, Jesus, could you do something? It's inviting Jesus into your stuff. It, prayer makes your life, it makes everything personal. And it places the power in Jesus' hands. Prayer is honest. The invitational prayer is an honest prayer. Lord, can you... I tried to do this, it didn't work. I tried to do this, but if you can, it's honest. You know what Jesus says about honest prayer? Love it. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. That doesn't mean without sin. Pure in heart means an honest, straightforward heart. Cause so, so just so you know, you're like, oh, I can never, I'm not pure in heart. Because it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, does anyone know the rest of this one? They shall see God. They shall see him for who he is, the pure in heart. Happier the pure in heart. Not to have it all together, but that honestly come before Jesus is it with an honest assessment and invite Jesus in. Blessed is that person, for they shall see God. Honest prayer is hard because more than anything, it shows incompetence. No one wants to be incompetent. We want to be the opposite of that. We want to be competent. We want to be effective. We want to be awesome. And when we have these honest prayers, it shows like, I can't do it. You know, some of us, that's what the people around us need to see more than anything else, FYI, that you don't have it all together. Do you know why? It's so they can make fun of you when you're not there. I'm just kidding. It's so, it allows them to not have it all together too. Because you are representatives of Jesus if you're a Jesus follower. You are a leader in your workplace. Now, whether you're a good leader or a bad leader is up to you, but you are salt. You are light, Jesus says. People see what the Spirit is doing in your world, and they're watching, and you have a spiritual enemy who wants you to fail and tell you that you're bad, and he wants you to do everything to act the part but be broken on the inside, and he wants to get you to the point where you say, I don't know if I believe this anymore because I've been praying to God about this for 20 years, and he's never done anything. And he's just saying, and the Lord the whole time is being like, I want you to see who I am, just not what you want. But it allows people to be like, you know what? Maybe I can be honest with God too. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, it's a hard thing to stand in front all the time. I lived all of this yesterday. I got done with yesterday, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I had to pray when I, it was the last thing I wanted to do. It was just a Saturday. 
trying to go snowboarding. And it's just life. All of the things. I found myself so mad. <laughs> I was mad. And it was just like, Lord, I don't, in my mind, I was like, the day's a failure. It was like 10 in the morning. And the day's over. This freaking day is over. I'm so over it. And I just was ready to write it off. And there was like this little voice that's like, it doesn't have to be. And it was just this little glimmer like, Lord, help. I, li- I did. All- and then I was just like, fine. Now I can say at least I'm being honest. And if I can, it, you just put yourself out there and know that you don't have it all together, that I, you can't fix other people's worlds because you can't even fix your own world, but Jesus can. And prayer is that invitation. That's the, that's the honest part. All right. Prayer keeps us close. There are so many things that try to draw us away. And prayer keeps us close to the heart of the Father. Did you see at the very end of that, it said, um, the very the very end of all this, you bring the boy, and then verse 28. And when he had entered the, the house, after he took this boy and did a miraculous thing, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Like, why were we so ineffective? And Jesus answered them, and he was straight up, and he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Maybe some of your translations say, this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. What he's talking about is more proximity than an actual process. Because prayer keeps us close. Jesus was a man of prayer. He was close to the Father's heart. They were worried about their effectiveness. And Jesus was like, he said, this is a faithless generation. There's a disconnection with the things of faith and where power comes from. It's not from a formula. It's not from something that you can go and do. It's from who God is. Prayer keeps us close to God. If you are feeling distant, if the church is feeling distant, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer is just a relational connection with God. I love praying with kids. Because kids talk to God the way we as adults want to talk to God. They're like, dear Lord, or however they address him, Jesus, dear God, this is my super cool Lego set, and I like it so much, and I thank you. You're like, amen. There's just this honesty, this pureness. It's not dressed up. It's just, this is who I am. And I love seeing the honest prayer of a child because they know that they're allowed to just be who they are before the Lord. This prayer and fasting, it was spoken to the disciples only. It wasn't spoken to the Father. It wasn't spoken to the crowd. It was spoken to Jesus' followers. One um, commentator says this, the authority that Jesus had given them, which he already had, He says he sent them out and gave them all authority over unclean spirits. And then they apparently didn't have authority here. And they're like, what's up? And he says, this type of life is a prayerful life. It's a connected life. This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is saying stuff like, no to your flesh what you feel, what your mind is telling you, what your body is telling you, I'm hungry, fasting. It's saying no to these things and saying, trying to take one connection step toward Jesus. It's a connected life. Not like, okay, I'm going to start praying or uh, praying five days a week, fasting twice because I want to be really holy. It's just saying that, Lord, you take a step. So if there's something that you need an answer and you're confused, fasting, praying is an amazing 
thing to do to simply take a step toward connection. Lord, I want to know you. He may not answer the question that you're asking, but when you look back, he will show something about himself or in your world that you needed to know for the next steps in life. I started this this last uh, couple years ago. All of this stuff, personal failure, critical spirit, self-righteousness, trying to please people, trying to please God, having heaviness of spirit, thinking about critical spirit towards others, all of this stuff I noticed in my own life. All of this stuff I noticed in our church. All of this stuff I noticed in other churches. All of this stuff I noticed in other pastors. I noticed a critical spirit towards other human beings the past couple of years. Have you noticed it? I've noticed judgment towards others, when you, especially when you don't understand them. I've noticed comparison and competition within church families and church communities that are unhealthy and hurtful. I noticed myself comparing our church to churches down the road because people were leaving here and going there. And I was like, what the heck? Are they better than we are? I'm just being honest. What are they doing that we're not doing? They're more effective. Are we not as effective? And so the Lord, as I'm trying to wrestle through all this stuff, I was encouraged by the Spirit to pray. I just started praying. And then you know what the Lord told me to do? to gather pastors and pray with them. So that's what I did. I called up the people in our kind of local context, our geographical area, if you were most likely to leave the bridge and go to another church, because statistics say most people go to church for two years, and then they leave and go to another one for two years, and then they leave and go to another one for two years, and then they leave and go, and it's this process where you go, and you compare your new church with your old church. You compare your new pastor with your old pastor. And us pastors are just trying to figure out how to keep people. And we get so down and then we compare ourselves to other churches and we compete with other churches. It's a vicious cycle. And I got to thinking, do I just want to like hold the baton on a broken system for 10 to 20 years, however long God calls me to pastor and then pass off to someone else to do? Or do we want to do something different? I want to do something different. Anybody else want to do something different? Anybody else want to see Jesus do stuff like this, where there's a brokenness and Jesus does something about it? Where there's a people who don't argue about how to do God things, they just do them. You don't look a certain way. You don't make a certain amount of money. You don't vote a certain way. You just know you're broken and the world is broken and that Jesus can help. That's street level. That's raw and it's hard and it's messy, but that's where the power of God comes from. So I called these pastors and I was like, hey, here's what I'm noticing. And I want you to know I had a rough time with you this year and here's why. And I know it's not good and I know it's not right, but I'm sorry. And now we are homies and we get together. It's one of the coolest things I do every week, every Wednesday morning, me and we're up to, I started with a group that was countywide and then I got to thinking, I need to do this in the, in the downtown community of Bellingham. So there's like five, six, seven of us that get together every Wednesday and we, we circle around to each other's church. One week we do it here, the next week we do it at, at that person's church, over at my church, CTK downtown, First Baptist downtown, we get together and we pray together. We pray for each other. We pray blessing over one another. And it has been the most freeing thing in my spirit. And it's been so encouraging to me. God has used it in such a radical way to free me up 
to just be who I am, to let the bridge be what it is and not worry about trying to be what the person down the street is. And I figured, you know, if I could go first, maybe that would allow others to be like, I don't have to be what that person next to me is. Maybe there's something that you can just be who you are. Praying with last verse. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't let stress be the last word. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. He doesn't say he'll answer, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And it says this, finally, you guys, would be a good translation, whatever is true, that fights critical spirit. Whatever is honorable, that speaks the image of God over people. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, anything good, meditate on those things the life-giving things. So in response, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song, then I'll come up and dismiss. But I wanted to encourage you guys something. When I pray right now, I would like for you, where you're sitting, to hold your hands in the posture of your heart. Some of us are holding on so tight and we're hurting and you need to let something go to the Lord. Some of you are just looking at only what you can do but not declaring what God can do. So as I pray, I would love to uh, allow you, I'm not telling you to do this, I'm allowing you to sit, to um there's, there's almost a sense of like, you can let it go today. And if holding your hands in the posture of your heart can help you with that, then you should do it. Not just with the prayer, but with our closing song. I remember years ago, when I first started going to church, I was like, all right, we sing. That's cool. Songs are kind of cheesy, but that was the 90s. They're cool now. Our worship team is awesome. Amen. But I was like, oh, we sing, okay. And then the pastor, I was so foreign to church. And then the pastor like says some stuff. Man, the stuff that guy says is amazing. Straight out of the Bible. I need the Bible. And, um, but some people, I was like, what is the, up with the songs? Some people raise their hands. I'm like, what are they raising their hands for? It's like that person feels like they just won something. <laughs> I'm like, that person's a winner. And then some people are like this. Are they holding something? Trying to figure out the whole church thing. And then, you know what I started to realize? They're holding their hands in the posture of their heart is what they're doing. Some people are declaring, God, you're bigger than all of my things. That's, I find myself as I'm a singer, you know. I'm one hand. <laughs> then I'm really giving it. Not giving it, really giving it, not giving it, really giving it. But I was, I, qu- I was just like, I could, I just quit thinking. I quit thinking. I quit caring what I thought people thought, and I just allowed my hands to be a resemblance of my heart. Some people need to just open up and say, Lord, can you come into this situation? Some of you need to let something go and just say, I'm, I'm here. I'm letting it go. This is who you are. I need your help. I'm letting it go. It's not, it's not my way. I don't want to be self-righteous. That's kneeling. You kneel before a king. You kneel before royalty. Every time in the Bible, if you can get on your face. You want me to demonstrate that? <laughs> oh, 
Every time in the Bible that someone sees an angel, they fall on their face. When they go, it's called pros, I'm going to stop there. How's it, how's it go? Straight, prostrate. Before the power of God, they fall on their faces. Somebody needs to know that God is bigger than the things that you can't fix. Maybe holding your hands in a certain way could help your brain and your heart to declare it in a fresh way. Let's pray. Let's sing. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what prayer is, for the ability to come to you, God of the universe, who is alive forevermore, has invited us to come as we are with the words that we know and to just say, God, here I am. Would you come into my life? Would you come into my circumstances? Could you show me more of who you are? So Lord, we declare that you are alive. We declare that you care about the world and what's going on. We declare that you have a way forward. Even when we have really messed up our past, no matter where we go, we can't hide from you. We need to be reminded of that often. So thank you for the amazing privilege of talking to you through prayer and, and worshiping you through song. So we sing this song in a response to you because you're awesome, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.